They finally beat Gunner for on-air personality of the year at work. Congrats, boys. You're listening to Quarian Schultz. Thanks to Jordan Vandergriff for joining us. Good luck to him here in his rookie season and his first foray into the Nats. Along with the rest of the top fuel dragsters coming up later on this Labor Day weekend. Thanks so much for joining us on this lovely Friday. It's Quarian Schultz, Fox Sports 1260. No Quarry Friday as Jake is in Portland with the IndyCar series in the penultimate IndyCar race of the season. I'm going to say penultimate. Sam, I'm going to say penultimate 10 times on today's show. So there's two. Because uh, I just, it's really important to me to sound smart. And I learned the word penultimate like three years ago. And I use it whenever I can. Like I've never, I'm never going to say second to last again in my life. The penultimate so, Indians game this weekend on Sunday as well. That's so right. You get yeah. that one in. Yep. I'm going to use it every time I have the excuse to use it. Penultimate. It just makes you sound like a really smart dude. Time for Jack's Donut Shut Your Donut Hole. Uh, before we get to that, actually, we had lunch with Lee and some of our other longtime sponsors. Kind of a thank you deal. It was in conjunction with the eighth anniversary of the show, and we went over to Rascour, which is always a great place to go for stuff like that. Oh, thanks for the invite. And uh, Yeah, sorry, Sam. It was, this was VIP. Um, you'll get there soon, man. Just keep on keeping on. Keep grinding. And, uh, and Lee told me of a potential opportunity sometime this winter, perhaps, on a collab with Jack's Donuts and Hot Cup of Schultz. So I don't want to put the cart in front of the horse. I kind of did that. We, we had a, an idea for a collab in 2016, and I went around town bragging to everybody about it, that it was absolutely going to happen, and then it, it ended up not happening. But I think Hot Cup of Schultz and, and Jack's Donuts collab is back on, and we'll talk. I mean, i got to get my taste out of it, so I'm not going to do it for free, um, but we're going to try to make something happen here coming up here in the uh, in the winter my brand and and lee's brand of jack's donuts coming together to create just a hell of a cup of coffee but uh 11 indie area locations of jack's donuts to find your favorite one tiger tails caramel nut rolls all kinds of delicious stuff and and as lee was telling me their coffee sales have been crazy too really really good so check them out jacksdonuts.com to find the location nearest to you uh there was so much duh out of the Andrew Luck situation that it was really kind of easy to pick through the um, through the shut your donut hole. I mean, it would have been easy to pick like Doug Gottlieb or somebody like that who makes the, the, the ridiculous and lazy joke about millennials. But Sam, I actually think St- Steve Berline really took the cake. And I-, I was surprised mostly with his comments because as a guy that played and played the same sport, I, I would think that he would have gotten it. Yeah, it was surprising. But Steve Berline with the, you know, there's never an excuse to retire, I, I thought was absolutely ridiculous. Um, and I, had, I hadn't heard the name Steve Berline in a long time, so maybe that's what he wanted. I mean, he gets his name out there again, but mostly people are um, mostly people are dragging him for it. So that was my, my shut your donut hole A, but my shut your donut hole B is actually Dale Hansen, who I agree with a lot. But you may know Dale Hansen. He's the... Um, He's the older guy from Dallas that, that does, like, TV sports editorials, I guess. Which it's kind of like one exists. big thing with uh, Scott Van Pelt. Or... Yeah, a lot like that, where he, yeah. he usually just does, like, a 90-second to two-minute deal on whatever's happening in sports. And a, a lot of times it's a social message. And, and I, I, every time I see a Dale Han, Han, uh, Hansen clip, like, 90% of the time I agree with it. Uh, but this one, I think he was just off because – it's just a lack of understanding of what Colts fans are going through and, and what Colts fans went through 
And for him to get on there and say that, you know, everyone that booed it doesn't deserve the same oxygen that we all breathe and all of that, I, I just think it's a, a gross mischaracterization of the rawness and the emotion of the moment. Um, Colts fans went through a lot with the Andrew Luck situation and the injury news and the team and is he going to play, is he not going to play, and all of the grand statements that Jim Irsay made. It's just been a long road. And to find out in the middle of a preseason game via Twitter or via some stranger sitting next to you that your franchise quarterback is retiring and never going to play again, I can understand the initial reaction being anger and frustration and that materializing into booze. Um, I'm not saying that I would have booed. I'm just saying that it doesn't make you the worst person in the world to boo. You, you are entitled and you have the right to be upset. Uh, I think his teammates were upset. Darius Leonard said that he was upset when he first knew, heard the news. And yeah. then kind of came around to it. So I, I think most fans, I, I think what we're, what we're confusing here, Sam, is that hmm. no one is really questioning Luck's right to retire. It's his life. He can do what he wants. The question is, you know, the timing of it and when he knew and whatever happened last week against the Browns, I, I don't think I'll ever understand the whole pregame routine because whether it was malicious or not or intentional or not, I think Luck fooled a lot of people into believing that all systems were go and he was going to get out there. And then in the matter of six days to have it all be for naught, I think that frustrated a lot of people. So Dale Hansen and, and, uh, and Steve Berline are my one and two. And to go along with Dale Hansen, at the end of his piece, he said, you know, there's a lot of stupid people in the world, but a lot of them live in Indiana or something like that. Look, if you know any of these fan bases in the NFL had gone through the same situation with Andrew Luck and then that happens where he's retiring and runs off the field, I, I can say with certainty that there would be fans in every single stadium that would boo. It, it's it's not an Indianapolis-specific thing that they're not appreciative of, of what he did, of what Luck did for the franchise and all that. That is a that is a universal thing. And my sh- Jack Stone Shut Your Donut Hole goes along the same lines with the Andrew Luck retirement, but I looked at Twitter, and I think that the Captain Andrew Luck uh, account <laughs> jumped the shark about yeah. two and a half, three years ago. I, I blocked the account two and a half or... Th- three years ago and it was frustrating to see how much it popped up into my twitter feed despite me blocking the account over the last week because you know sports illustrated would do a feature on the account and and indy star and all the local tv stations had to mention this twitter account and then we get lieutenant brissett just just stop just stop there's there's no need for this unfunny parody anymore I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick of seeing the it, the unoriginal idea in my feed. It was stolen by Roger Sherman from The Ringer to begin with. So that's bad enough. And it, it jumped the shark a long, long, long time ago. It it wasn't really that funny in the beginning, and I'm just so sick of it. I'm so tired of it. Please, if you're thinking of starting a parody account about Civil War or a quarterback or anything like that, just don't do it. Just don't yeah, do how, it. How many ways can I, – I guess my question with the Captain Andrew Luck, like if you're a fan of that account, like how many different ways could – that whoever that person was really say something to make it funny you know I, the, the first couple of times i really did laugh i thought it was funny yeah. and, and the whole you know it was still not tired and played out but my god after five years it was like it was the same it was basically the same tweet just a different jumble of words for every upcoming opponent right and and the joke in the beginning was you know he kind of looks like a civil war general he's got yeah. this big beard and it just it it was such a dead horse that I I was so thankful that that it's finally disappearing, and then the next day I see Lieutenant Brissett, and I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? 
So that's yeah. my Jackson. Shut your down a hole. And Dale Hansen, the comment about, well, most of the stupid people live in Indiana. Dale Hansen is in Texas, correct? <laughs> yes. Come on, man. Don't don't wear your arm out from throwing too many stones from your glass house. I mean, if we're really going to talk about dumb people and you're in Texas, give me a break. Uh, that's like somebody in Florida saying something like that. You know what I mean? I don't I don't dumb, the... There are dumb people everywhere. There right. are dumb people in Connecticut. Um, but you know, somebody in Texas taking shots at Indiana is hilarious to me. Yeah, I'll, I'll give them that there's dumb people here, but I go back to the fact that in that same situation where you've got a franchise quarterback that has been hurt by injuries and two weeks before the regular season starts, he retires and then is on the field running off the field and you're just confused. You just found out that he retired. I guarantee you there would have been fans in every single NFL stadium that would have booed. Yeah, you know, honestly, Sam, it's just hard to compare it to anything else because it's such a unique situation. It's just different. It's different from any situation that you could concoct because it's so ridiculous that a franchise player who's missed a full season, who's had a myriad of injuries over the last four years, and then it's the third quarter of a preseason game and everyone's kind of checked out and there's like, I don't know, how many people could have possibly been in the building in the third quarter of that game when news broke at 928? 7,000? 8,000? I mean, is that me overstating it there couldn't have been that many people there uh but for those fans that were there to hear (laughs) that the franchise player was retiring via twitter i mean it's it's a crazy situation it's unprecedented you you don't hear stuff like that uh people were able to prepare for peyton manning's retirement you weren't able to prepare for andrew lux because it just seemingly kind of came out of nowhere and i'm not going to be radio guy that says we're not media because we are but you know, to, to talk about media for a little bit, I I was pretty annoyed, too, with, with the whole cycle of media members telling fans how they should feel about this and at the same time being self-congratulatory about, oh, my God, look at the great work we did in a tough circumstance when Andrew Luck retired. L- look at this. Look at this great work that we put out. Uh, OK. All right. Yeah, I, I do think that there's something to that where and I fall victim to this, too, where you forget if you've been in it or behind the curtain, if you will, you forget that uh, you forget how your mind worked as a fan because I think anyone that works in sports media I would assume would have grown up a fan because why would you pursue sports media unless you love sports and I think I have a pretty good handle on Indianapolis fan psyche now not everyone is going to feel the same but I, I think a majority of the fans were angry and hurt and frustrated and I think they have the right to be I just don't think that it was the irrational reaction that people made it out to be like people are like oh the Colts fans booing Andrew Luck off the field. You have to kind of understand the context of what was happening. Uh, I'm never pro booing your own player. I just think it's ridiculous to, to boo your own player in just about any context. But in this one, just because it was so unique and weird and unheard of, I can understand that being the first reaction that people had. There's still anger and hurt and frustration, and there's still some people who are never going to let this thing go, that Andrew Luck is – his legacy is ruined in their eyes, and um, I do think that some people are overstating it. Like, the Paul George comparisons to me are ridiculous. I think it's apples and oranges. Um, and I do think that most fans will have positive memories of Andrew Luck when it's all said and done. But when it's raw, when it just happens, when the, the wound is still fresh and bleeding, it's tough. It's tough for fans. Um, I get it. I get the and this is the culmination of, I think, one of the weirdest weeks and maybe the weirdest week that we've ever had at Indianapolis sports because it's, what, six days later and we're still talking about it and, and people are still reacting to it. And you guys are pretty ready to move on at this point, which we'll do, I promise. 
239-1260. We'll talk more Colts. In fact, we come back. uh, Some cuts starting to filter in, but not a lot of ones that I I think most people would recognize, but we'll go through some of those. Also coming up later on in the hour, more drivers from Lucas Oil Raceway as they prepare for the start of the U.S. Nationals Labor Day weekend in Brownsburg on Fox Sports 1260. Want your voice to be heard? Dial us up now at 239-1260. This is Quarry and Schultz on Fox Sports 1260 Indy Sports Station. Welcome back. Lucas Oil Raceway in Brownsburg. It's Quarry and Schultz. Fox Sports 1260. God, this Popeyes thing is crazy. You've got even Tony Dungy tweeting about Popeyes now. This from Coach Dungy, who joined us live in studio two weeks ago. Is Popeyes crazy or genius for creating a market for something they can't provide? I've been to a dozen Popeyes in several different cities and have yet to even see a chicken sandwich. When finally able to get one, will I still want to try it or just be fed up and say forget it? I don't know, man. I think it sounds pretty good. Uh, I'm not going to wait in line for one because I just – I don't wait in food lines. I wait in Black Friday lines. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with waiting in line for gas at, like, Sam's Club. But I don't wait in long lines for, like, remember when Jack in the Box came to Indianapolis and people freaked out about it and there were, like, lines wrapped around Jack in the Box? Now you go to a Jack in the Box and you see, like, you know, cacti blowing through. Yeah, what what, what was the big deal about that? I don't know. I don't get it. Um, I've still never had it. uh, But apparently because it's burgers and tacos – People make a really big deal about it. Have you had Jack in the Box, Sam? I had it when I, I went to Southern California like twelve years ago, but I haven't had it in Indy. And it was—I mean, it was fine. Like it was—it wasn't like a special like trip or anything. It was just kind of like there, you know. So, so it wasn't like you know we, we specifically went to Jack in the Box. It was just kind of there, like where we were, near where we were staying. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't remember being blown away by it. Have you had Popeyes? Oh, yeah. Popeye's plenty of times, yes. Have you done the chicken sandwich yet or no? No, I, I went after work, so it was at like 9.30 one night up to the one on uh, up, by, up by Castleton. And there mm-hmm. was about five cars in line. I was like the fifth car in line, and I, I heard the drive through person say to the, the person that was at the front of the line, we were out of sandwiches, we're out of tenders, we're out of something else, and like me and two other cars were like, okay, we're done, we're done here, and just pulled out. And then I, I wanted to go to the one in Speedway, uh, I was over working there, and the line literally wrapped around the building. Oh, I believe it. all the way, and the inside was locked. And I was just like, "Eh, I'll, I'll go somewhere else." They locked the inside. Oh yeah, yeah was they, it late enough at night where it was just a no, drive-through only? It was Is like five it was? in the afternoon, <laughs> and they were just like, "You know what? We're not we're not taking inside orders. We're taking drive-through only." Seriously? Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that they were even well not allowed to do. I didn't know that a place would do that. Oh yeah, that that happens the when door. they're when they're just when they're just fed up. I, just, I can't remember, like, even – I'm trying to think of when I was a kid. Do you remember the Arch Deluxe at McDonald's? This would have been, can't like, 1996. Yeah, it would have been too And I, I don't even remember <laughs> what the BFD was about the Arch Deluxe. I think it was a special sauce or something they had on it, maybe. And I remember um, I was with a, a kid, Matt Hirsch, who I went to junior high with, and – we went with his mom and piled in like a Chrysler minivan with the wood paneling, and we went to a McDonald's in Fairfield and stood in line for like, I, it, it had to have been an hour to get Arch Deluxes, and then I had it, and I was even when I was like 13 years old, I was like, oh, this wasn't worth the wait. I think that's the only like food item that I've really waited in line for, though. Did you ever have the uh, Double Down from KFC when they did that? <laughs> no. I, I always wanted to try 
do they still do that? Can you still get a double? Down? I have no idea. I I know that it it was like th- there was both the chicken as the bun, and then they like had the regular chicken sandwich with like the sauce that they had. Yeah. And I I tried both. This was I don't know you know ten years ago or whatever, and it was it was really good. I mean I couldn't. Oh, have I'm more sure than, it's amazing. I couldn't do it more than one time because I just could feel my arteries clogging. But it was it was really something. Yeah, I'm sure it's amazing. I'm sure this Popeye's chicken sandwich is amazing, um, and the whole deal. And and they're to answer Tony Dungy's question, they're geniuses that they were able to limit this in supply and create the demand where people will stand in line. And I think Popeye's has the reputation, kind of like Chick Fil A, where yeah, it's fast food, but it's just it's really good. Um, even though I'm not a huge Chick Fil A fan, I don't I don't get the infatuation with Chick Fil A, whereas I do with Popeye. Uh, Popeye's is excellent but they're always out of stuff and this was before the chicken sandwich every time i've gone there probably gone half a dozen times in my life to the popeye's drive-thru and they've always been out of something they've been they were out of bread one time when i went <laughs> like yeah sorry we don't have any bread that seems like it would be a little bit of a problem here that you don't have bread uh two three nine twelve sixty also responding to tweets as well uh on the andrew luck situation but first let's go to the phone lines with our friend jd he's on line one hey jd Derek, what's happening? How are you guys doing? I'm good, man. Uh, before we start on luck, have you tried the Popeye's chicken sandwich yet or no? No, I haven't. I've been to Popeye's once, and it was like a 20-minute wait for just like a four-piece, but uh, you ain't you ain't going to take down the king, and that's Chick-fil-A. Ain't going to happen. <laughs> Fair enough. But, what do you have to say about luck? Well, I know you guys are sick of talking about luck, so I'm going to talk about Andrew Luck. Um, <laughs> my viewpoint of this whole thing, and, and I want to ask you guys, is Andrew Luck, do you think he's been a little bit coddled and protected through this whole thing? And the reason I ask is because this is the leader of the team. This is the face of the franchise. This is the guy who said it was going to be the best quarterback since John Elway, the best quarterback since Peyton Manning. You're going to be there for years and years and years, put people in the seats, and he quits. I get it. I have empathy for him that – he needs to get his mind right. But he's not leaving because of a Troy Aikman situation. He's not leaving because of a Steve Young situation where he needs a quality of life. He's leaving because it was mentally too much. And to me, I just think it's so incredibly frustrating and soft. Please talk me off my ledge. Am I, am I right or wrong? Yeah, look, I, I, don't think, I don't think coddled is the right word for it. I think the Colts allowed Luck to handle these injury situations the way that he wanted to handle them. And you know what, honestly, J.D., I don't know if teams have the power to, to do otherwise now. Um, I think this is just where we are right now in sports where – you know, Reggie Wayne is a good example. Um, Reggie Wayne, when he tore his ACL in 20, whatever year that was, 2014, right. um, he went down to Miami and he just disappeared for a couple of weeks. And, you know, in the old days, you would have stayed with the team physicians, right? And the team doctors, you would have rehabbed at the facility, the whole shebang. And he just went down to Miami because he's like, look, I'm more comfortable there. This is where I want to rehab. I've got my guys down there, and that's what I'm going to do. You know, Andrew Luck, the first time around with the shoulder, went out to Europe and was doing whatever he was doing out there. So I don't think it's really a coddling thing as much as it is a this guy's hurt, he wants to handle it the way he sees best. And I think the Colts actually did that to their detriment because with the retirement announcement, I think it was handled poorly because Luck wanted to wait. I, I don't know that Luck wanted to wait, but I assume adding everything up, that he told the team on Thursday the team wanted to do the press conference on Friday and Luck wanted to do the press conference on Sunday. And 
that's not the team's fault. Uh, they, they should have nipped that in the bud right away. Once you've decided to retire, you've got to call the press conference the next day. But the stuff about soft and all that, you know, the, the reason that I, I don't love that term, J.D., is because, and thanks for the call, um, he went through the shoulder thing and then he came back and then he played a full season. He went through the lacerated kidney and then he came back and played three more seasons after that. He played through a lacerated kidney. He lacerated his kidney in the third quarter of that game against Denver in 2015, and he played the rest of the game. He led a game-winning drive. He played through a shoulder tear in 2016. He played through a subluxation of his shoulder in 2015. He played through crap, cracked ribs. Sorry, well, played, it was crappy, a crappy uh, injury situation for him, but cracked ribs in 2015 for whatever it was, seven or eight or nine games before he lacerated the kidney. Um, he, he played through a lot of stuff, so... I get that this latest thing, I think people are focusing too much on the calf. It, it wasn't the severity of the calf or the ankle. It was the fact that this was the last straw, and he just didn't want to put up with the injuries anymore. So did he quit? Yeah, he quit. It's, is it his prerogative to quit? Sure. He can make whatever decision that he wants to make. But the soft thing is something that I'll continue to buck against because Andrew Luck wouldn't have done what he did the last four years if he was soft. You know, that was a lot of stuff to go through the last four years, both mentally and physically. But coddled by the team and all of that. You know, the, the stuff about the expectations, that's not Luck's fault. That's the team's fault. That's Ursay's fault. If you want to be mad at, about somebody about unfulfilled potential and, hey, this was advertised as being the next big guy, where are the Super Bowls? That's on the team owner. The team owner is the one that gave the ridiculous interview to USA Today in year two and tried to make it sound like and, and really insinuated that the 2000s Colts were somehow a disappointment because they only won one Super Bowl. That wasn't Andrew Luck. That was Ursay. So you want to be mad at somebody about that, about raising your expectations. That that's Jimmy. That's not uh, that's not Drew. <laughs> Two three nine twelve sixty. We'll have more drivers here from Lucas Oil Raceway as we continue, uh, and more Colts and your phone calls at two three nine twelve sixty. It's Quarry and Schultz, Fox Sports twelve sixty. They're the two most handsome fellas in Midtown. You're listening to Quarry and Schultz on Fox Sports twelve sixty, Indy Sports Station. With Jake away, I put in new rejoins for the show, Sam. So we've got some Midtown and Rocket references. Oh, he'll love those. those. Oh, yeah. Welcome back. Lucas Oil Raceway in Brownsburg. It's Quarry and Schultz as we continue on this No Quarry Friday. And we've had a couple of drivers come through already. And we're excited to talk to each one of these guys and gals because the coolest thing about the NHRA, and I'm not just saying this because Richie Crampton is sitting right here, you guys are all so accessible and nice and cool and down-to-earth and laid back. It's not stuffy at all. I remember when the F1 was here like 10 years ago, and those Formula 1 guys, I don't know if it's the, the Euro thing or what, they were just kind of stuffy and self-important. You guys aren't like that. You're just, you're just a regular dude that happens to drive a rocket ship with wheels, right? <laughs> I guess so, yeah. No, we definitely pride ourselves on being you know, accessible to the fans, and every ticket's a pit pass, and everyone can come and meet the drivers and Look at the race cars up close and stuff, which is, uh, I think, one of the things that set the hook for me when I was a kid, coming and watching drag racing and uh, getting close to the action like this. So we enjoy it. The fans are great. The NHRA supporters are the best in the world, and uh, I think we have the coolest motorsport around. Tell us about how you came into this sport because a lot of the, the guys and gals that we talk to have roots either here in Indy or in California where it's also very big. But there aren't a lot of guys who sound like you with the Australian accent. So how big is drag racing in Australia? And, and when did you f first kind of notice the sport and become passionate about it? 
Well, drag racing is huge all over the world, you know, and if you're from Europe, Australia, wherever you're from, um, you and you want to get to the highest level, it's it's the NHRA Mellow Yellow Series. So that's uh, that's what drove me to want to, to make the leap and move to the U.S. And But definitely standing, uh, you know, in the grandstands as a youngster in Australia, watching some of the great racers uh, in top fuel over there is what made me kind of want to want to be like that and and just kind of uh i was always a motorsports kid so uh it just was kind of a natural progression for me but i'm i'm pretty lucky to have made the jump you know i i live here in indianapolis i've lived here for almost 15 years now and um i was actually a mechanic for quite a long time on these cars before i got to get into the driver's seat so my route to getting into the driver's seat is kind of unorthodox but uh it's been uh it's been a lot of fun when i finally got to do what i always wanted to do and uh, now i see myself driving for one of the legends of our sport sure. with Connie Coletta. And uh, I've won this race before in 2014 in my rookie year, and we're just getting pretty excited to try and go out here and do it again. And you mentioned that mechanic roots. Uh, that win in 2014 had a lot of different distinctions. One, that was your rookie year, if I'm not mistaken. And two, I believe you became the second driver ever to win in a car that you built, <laughs> which is it's just crazy to me. What you guys do is impressive enough, but to think that you actually helped build the machine that propelled you to that Nats win that's incredible it is yeah i'm not sure you're going to find that in too many other forms of motorsport but uh it's something that's pretty cool but again drag racing such a blue collar uh you know sport where you know you, you work on your stuff and uh you know go racing and i'm just being fortunate to uh you know do what i've done and 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 work for the great teams that i've worked with and uh again with the dhl toyota this weekend we're just going to try and uh Try and go some rounds and 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 maintain our, maintain our spot within the top ten in the championship standings and uh, try and win Indy, man. This is uh, this is our Super Bowl. How much input do you give on the cars, Richie? Because you have a lot of knowledge of all the inner workings of the car and all your time as a mechanic. But at the same time, I'm sure there's a trust level between you and your crew members that you want to trust their opinions and all of that, but also want to. Put in your word as well. Like, is that a, a little bit of a delicate walk for you? Oh, yeah, I think you'll find that uh, with with most uh, professional drivers, the crew chiefs will go to the data before they'll really uh, listen to the driver about a lot of things. Uh, but uh, no, in all honesty, there's so much to take in in the three seconds of 300 mile an hour racing sure. that we do that uh, our feedback is kind of secondary to what they can already learn from the data. But uh, you know, I think just working on the cars and being around it for so long just helps my comfort level and understanding what's going on with them and i think that kind of translates into helping me try and keep calm when something's not going exactly right but uh yeah it's <laughs> it's a lot of fun uh I, you know i wish everyone could come out and check out what we do it's it's pretty cool 2014 u.s nationals top field champion richie crampton joins us here live on site at lucas oil raceway as he tries for title number two coming up later on this weekend uh obviously with your accent you're australian i think people have figured that out by now that you're not originally from brownsburg or speedway or anything <laughs> like that I saw that you got the chance to go back down under and race again. That must have been a cool experience. What was that, January, February, yeah, around then? back in January. Very fortunate uh, during our NHRA offseason that, uh, of course, being summer in Australia, it's uh, at its peak uh, at that point in time. So got to go back and, and do one race at Willowbank Raceway uh, with the Lamatina family, which is uh, – you know, one of the premier uh, top fuel teams in Australia. So it was uh, really cool for me to do that because I did not actually get to compete at the highest level in Australia. And for it to come full circle and to go back as a top fuel driver and a winner and drive some uh, great equipment, um, it was a great weekend. But, uh, you know, fun to do stuff like that in the off season. But, of course, it's good to get back and, uh, you know, focus on the job at hand, which is uh, driving the car that I drive now and, um you know, uh, try and win races and try and win rounds. Uh, but uh, 
it's going to be a long uh, rest of the season, but we'll keep digging. If you were to rank sports by fan interest in Australia, where's drag racing compared to, let's say, like Aussie rules football? Or is rugby big out there, too? Yeah, it's or down pretty, there, I should say. <laughs> it's pretty well divided. Uh, you know, we, we, we have our stick and ball sports like cricket instead of mm-hmm. baseball, of course, and then uh, Australian rules football and, and rugby kind of share the, the two premier uh, football kind of sports, it seems like. But as far as motorsports goes, it's uh, I feel like it's a pretty equal uh, spread between sprint car racing, drag racing, and the V8 supercar series, which they have over there. So uh, drag racing gets a pretty good run, and, and uh, we all know them Australians, uh, just like myself, are getting gearheads at heart and motorsport is is very popular and and alive and well down there you feel good about where you are right now i know you haven't quite locked up the countdown spot but you're right there uh you feel good about where you are and are you confident that you're going to lock up that spot coming up here this weekend here in indy yeah i'm, I'm more than confident that connie and, and my entire dhl team are going to do do what we need to maintain our spot and, and start in the countdown um you know, by by all measures, though, the pressure is rising, and and this is the biggest race uh, on the planet that we're about to uh, to kick off here this evening. So uh, it's definitely time to get down to work and do our job, and and most importantly, get in the field and, and ex- execute some round wins on on Monday. That's what's uh, that's what it's going to take to to run with the top guys. Last thing here, Richie. What is uh, and you've been here now 15 years, so I'm sure you've tried all of it. What is the the lamest? american australian thing is it outback steakhouse is it foster's beer like what do you just cringe at where you say no man that's not australia at all get out of here with that i mean that's such a loaded question uh, <laughs> i gotta say the foster's thing uh foster's is very uncommon where i'm from but uh i don't know i just we have a lot of fun with it the whole thing and uh i i you know i can't help but laugh when someone from uh, particularly from here in indiana tries to uh replicate an australian <laughs> accent they just can't get oh, it right no. can't get it all i will say this i met my wife at an outback steakhouse i was a i was a line cook at an outback steakhouse in bloomington indiana for three years and my wife was a hostess and i used to throw croutons at her so i've always had a special place in my heart for australia and for outback because of that. hey best of luck this weekend always fun to catch up with you on the show and uh hope to see a title number two for you in we'll the be trying man hope the fans come out in droves it's going to be an awesome exciting weekend that's the great richie crampton we'll come back with more drivers lucas oil raceway in brownsburg on fox sports 1260 welcome back to the show rolling along here for lucas oil raceway in brownsburg it is quarry and schultz on a no query friday thanks so much for joining us and our driver parade continues next sean langdon joins us now and i'm immediately a fan of yours because I'm a big proponent of beard growing, and I feel like we don't have enough beards in this series. So automatically, I'm one of your biggest fans. I, I appreciate that, <laughs> and I appreciate your beard as well. Yeah, see? We can connect on that. Yes. Uh, many know you as a, a Top Fuel world champion for a, a couple of years ago, but of course you've since moved on to Funny Car. Uh, I believe if year two for you in Funny Car, is that right? Correct, yep. Uh, what are the big differences? For, for somebody like me, I mean, I've been out here a bunch of times, but... You know, people in Indianapolis may be somewhat novices when it comes to the differences between, we know the difference between pro stock motorcycle and the rest of the stuff, but particularly funny car and top fuel, what are the biggest differences from somebody who's done it both times? Well, I mean, obviously from the physical appearance um, of the long skinny dragsters to the uh, short wheelbase funny cars with the body on top of it, um, you know, we got that Toyota Camry body on top of it, but with the the motor sitting in front of you uh, versus behind you, 
Um, so, you know, obviously physically, you know, the, like I said, the appearance of it is a big difference, but driving them is, is just as big of a difference. It's been a big learning curve for me the last two years. Um, getting, getting the feel for the funny car. A lot of this stuff is, uh, you know, going 330 plus miles an hour. You don't have time to think about anything. Everything is just kind of a, a reaction seat of the pants kind of feel. And, um, just everything that I've learned in a dragster for so long didn't really match up with driving a funny car. So it took me a little bit of time to get that adjustment period, um, of changing, you know, that kind of seat of the pants feel where, um, just the things that I thought was right in the past wasn't really right. So it's been a big learning curve, but it's definitely been a big challenge, but I've, I've, I've been enjoying it. Uh, we don't think of this because we see you guys just kind of taking off and moving in a straight line, and it's a matter of seconds. But I had heard that the funny cars kind of can move on you left to right, and you have to stay in the groove compared maybe a little bit more so than a top fuel dragster. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, with the, the dragsters having a longer wheelbase, they're a little bit more forgiving on if you oversteer or understeer. Mm. You can get them back a little quicker, and they, they'll kind of stabilize a little bit faster. Um, where a funny car with a shorter wheelbase um, – you know, kind of a big, a big misconception is, you know, a lot of people say you got to manhandle a funny car. They're not wrong. But in the early part of the run, you can't do that because if you're manhandling a funny car early in the run, it really tends to make big moves. Now, down track, when you're, the speeds are up and you got a lot of downforce, then you got to make the big move. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like where you're a consistent steering process from start to finish in a dragster. You kind of have like a first 300 feet and then maybe or first 400 feet and then the last four, you know, five, 600 feet, the car drives completely different. So it's kind of get it pointed right properly in in the groove and the start and then make minimal adjustments and then down track when you get a lot of downforce and the speed's going really fast, then you got to make a lot bigger moves in the steering wheel. There'll be sometimes, you know, if, if, especially if you drop a cylinder, you'll have your hands crossed up for sure. Wow. Uh, and you talk about all the, the nuances and the, and the changes and the learning curve. How good was it for you to get that win in Charlotte and, and show, hey, look, I'm, I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm doing this right, and now I have the result to show it? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, obviously there's, uh, there's a lot of eyes on you, and uh, sponsors are obviously paying attention to everything, and and you make a transition like that, you kind of put your yourself uh, as a driver out there a little bit because instead of just going status quo, hopping in a dragster and, and being competitive, I kind of went out on a limb a little bit and uh, tested the funny car wa- the water and uh, was getting my butt kicked a lot and uh, I was making <laughs> a lot of mistakes. And but you know we've been progressing uh, very well, bringing in guys like Dale Worsham and working with Nikki Bonifani, having Chad Head on our team, but also working with Jr. who won the championship last year. Um, there's been a lot of things that, uh, that I've, I've asked a lot of questions, you know, having a TRD out with us with uh, Toyota racing development and working with uh, slugger and, and a few of those guys, I mean, watching video after video and just learning. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of neat because we've really seen a trend, a transformation with the team these last uh, couple months where the car, like we got the win, but we, we kind of backed into the win a little bit, not to, you know, take anything away from it, but um, it was a really a right place at the right time. Gotcha. Thing. Um, the last couple of months, we've kind of had that car that's uh, transformed into a, a fast car. And so a lot of it's been, you know, obviously the crew chief's gaining more uh, knowledge on, on tune-up related stuff. But, you know, me being able to keep a, a straight line in the car and, and understanding the car and not letting it get out of the groove. And that's, that was a big uh, struggle for me last year. And, 
just when the car would make a move, I just it was either too quick or not quick enough, and I didn't really have that feel. So it's uh, man, it's coming together at the right time because you know coming to Indy and then we got the countdown. It's it's a critical time to do good. You're a top fuel, fuel champion, so you've been on top of that mountain before. Uh, and I know that you had said, look. I'm doing funny car here, and I'm not here just for kicks and to finish eighth or ninth in the standings. I'm here to win another championship. You're in the countdown. Are you confident that perhaps even this year it could be the year if, if things really started clicking for you that you could be a champion? Well, yeah, I'd, I'd love to think so. I uh, I mean, just my competitive nature. I don't. It wouldn't matter to me if we were just racing a golf cart for a beer. You know what I mean? I just <laughs> to me, I, I I just have a competitive nature about myself, and and I anything I do, whatever it may be, whether, you know, drag racing or sports or, um, anything. I just, I, I hate losing, man. I, I will not lose and I will not give up. And I, I, that's always kind of been my mentality since I was a kid. So yeah, it's just, you know, with this big challenge, driving a funny car, it's been a, like I said, a big, big learning curve. Um, but I, I like the challenge of it, man. It's, it's that, it's that just kind of thing that keeps driving you, sure. driving you to be better. You ne- I'm never at any point have I been content with my driving you know, even, you know, like right now leading the reaction time average of the class, which is a great thing, but I'm still looking for more, trying to keep improving that. And, uh, you know, I just don't want to be a thousand better than everybody. I want to be hundreds better than everybody. And that's just kind of my motivation of, of continuing the, the progress up the, the ranks and, uh, you know, entering the countdown. You know, we're ninth place in the points right now, but, uh, you know, the last couple of races, we've had a top three or four car. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of hitting it at the right time. You just you got to get hot at the right time. And with only having six races in the countdown, I feel like we're, we're getting real close, man. It's it, it, that that carrot's dangling out in front of us right now. And <laughs> I mean, we're, we're tasting it. Former top fuel champion Sean Langdon now in funny car joins us here on site. Lucas Oil Raceway. Uh, I had read somewhere that you were a, kind of a big deal as a high school baseball player coming up in California. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say big deal, but I mean, I you had a college, I, you had college I, well, offers I mean, enough we, to be. Uh, yeah, no, we, right? we, I had some some opportunities. Um, so, I played baseball a lot. I, that was actually my first passion growing up. Was uh, I love pitching? I love playing baseball. Uh, went little league, travel ball through high school, um, and I had some good opportunities. And just kind of just how life took me, I uh, had some good opportunities in racing too at the time, and I chose the racing route and. I still go to baseball games and always think what if, but you know I'm I'm loving life right now. I'm loving being on the road racing. Dodgers, Angels. I guess more of you know I get asked that a lot, and honestly, I don't really have a favorite team. I don't really have favorite team in anything. I okay. do I do a lot of of gambling. I do a lot of betting. <laughs> so it's kind of who you rooting for, who's your favorite team, sure. who, whoever I'm betting on for the game. Nice, <laughs> dumb question, but did the hand-eye coordination translate at all from baseball to something like this? Is there, is there anything that translates? Well, you know, I think being a pitcher, um, it's just it's the, the fine-tuning mm-hmm. of the skills. You know, it's, it's, you just kind of you have the basics, but it's, it's keeping the discipline of, you know, for me, I like the, the inside work of everything. So I, I like the, uh, the mental aspect of things when you're on the mound, of trying to figure out the hitter, of where his hot spots are and where he struggles at, and kind of what the count is, what where the, the positions of the runner are, um, kind of the, the dynamics of the game and kind of how, you know, it's just you're, you're getting to the, the finer skills of, of the game. And, you know, I still go to the baseball games, and it's like I, I still watch the game, and I'm so involved in the game, like I just don't go to get beer and hot dogs. I'm into the game, so I'm thinking like, okay, this is a situation. You have a, a runner on this and that, and, you know, you're up by this much or down by this much. Like this, sure. is, the, this is a pitch that I would throw, you know. So I kind of like to, you know, 
be able to do that. But it's still kind of the same thing with uh, driving driving a dragster. You got your opponent and is figuring out, okay, this guy, you know, he he likes to stage last or he likes to stage first or, you know, we get sheets in between the runs that tell the reaction time, but also tell if it was a long tree or a short tree of the tree variant. So I kind of study the other drivers and I know their tendencies of, you know, this guy typically later on in the day, he struggles against a long tree. So, you know, I'll kind of try to get like a, maybe a, a bulb flicker on the stage bulb to, to simulate a longer tree for them. And mm-hmm. so it's just kind of creating a little bit of an advantage for yourself and for your team. And, but, but I, I, I like that stuff. That's the stuff that I, I really enjoy. Man, I mean, you're, I'm, I'm blown away with how in-depth it gets because, you know, the, the casual person watches and they think, well, it's, it's five seconds, right? How much goes into it? But the, just all of the, the little tweaks and the hundreds and thousands of a second, it's incredible. It really is what you guys do. Yeah. No, I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, we're racing, you know, a lot of races are decided by thousands of a second. Yeah. So if you just create, you know, you don't obviously want to do anything to harm a, a competitor or, or to, you know, do anything to deliberately mess up their run. But if there's something that you can do to maybe create a, an, a little bit of an advantage for yourself to maybe pick up five or ten thousandths of a second where you kind of exploit their weaknesses a little bit, then I think that it's, you know, it's, it's a fair game thing. And um, you know, it's just like anything else. You have scouting reports in, in baseball and football, and you kind of know other your opponent's tendencies. And sure. So I kind of do that. That's kind of my studying that I do every night when I get back to the room, and and uh, that, that's my homework type of thing. But yeah, yeah, I enjoy that stuff, man. That that's kind of it's I'm, cool I'm a, to nerd out on something that you're passionate about. Well, it's I, fine I, to be right. We're I, all I've always been a stat out on something. Guy. Yeah, to me, there I'm you a go. Stat guy. I love I love stats. I'm sure that helps you with the gambling aspect too, because if your brain works that way, then that's you can exactly translate it. So I, that. I'm, I'm I'm always on I'm always online and I'm always looking at you know just good games to bet, whether it's spreads and who's playing who, and you know just like you know baseball games and who's pitching and you know do they have a good record against them? And the, there's just so many things. To me, I like that. I love that stuff. I'm I'm the type of I'm I'm the the racing nerd that figures out the stats, but <laughs> or the 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 point standings before NHRA even puts the point standings out sure. you know what i mean i just i know where i'm at at all times and um but i i like that stuff i i i really big into fantasy baseball fantasy football so it's just there again you know it's a stat thing it just you're always kind of trying to build a good team and and uh, be successful well, at it what a perfect weekend for you because tomorrow uh sports gambling becomes legal in indiana and then you've got the nats coming up on on monday right I so don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> we'll am i allowed to bet on myself is that legal uh, you might have to check with NHRA on that. Can one. I bet on myself? That might be that might be an NHRA question. I'm not sure if that's a state legislature question or not. I mean, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, maybe if you bet on somebody else, that might not be a good thing. But if I bet on myself, I would. Pete Rose bet on his own team and he got in trouble for it. Yeah, see, maybe I shouldn't do that. All right, maybe I shouldn't even say anything. Huh? <laughs> can follow Sean on Twitter <laughs> at Sean Langdon three three three. Hey, best of luck, man, this weekend, and best of luck with the uh, the football gambling and all of that as well. Um, hope hope you can make it a, a funny car title here at the Nats. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much. At Sean Langdon, we'll come back in sixty seconds with J.R. Todd, a two-time defending champion here in Indy. It's Quarry and Schultz, Fox Sports twelve sixty.